We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pacer fans, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Setting the Pace, and it is training camp week. And here to talk about all things Pacers, training camp, the upcoming season, the one and only Michael J. Focci. Focci, what's going on, brother? Alex, you could feel it. You could feel it in the air. Pacer basketball is nearly upon us, basically a week away. I know to some people it feels like the season just ended, but I don't care because I want to see the boys back. I want to see them healthy, and they're taking another run at it. Absolutely. So December 12th and 14th, they're going to have two games against the Cavaliers on the road, and then December 18th, they're going to be taking on those Philadelphia 76ers. It'll be interesting to see just how the Pacers play in these preseason games because this is the first time we're going to see Nate Bjorkman's new offense. It is. I'm very excited for that. Preseason games can always be so hit or miss. Sometimes you really can't take anything away from them at all. But I want to be able to use this as a, as a time to see some of the young guys, to see if, if that back end of the rotation is going to be contributing anything. Because the Pacers are bringing back their top 13 guys in terms of scoring average and minutes played. So it's basically the same exact team from last year, but I want to see who's really been working on their game. And plus, obviously, a guy like Goga is someone who stands out. Cassius Stanley, those are the guys that we're very curious to see. And then the battles at the, the back end of the rotation of who's going to be making the team and who isn't. Yeah. So it looks like, you know, those 13 uh, returning players, plus Amita Brima, Cassius Stanley, Rashawn Hammonds, Jalen LeCue and Keelan Martin will be joining this, uh, this roster heading into training camp. So I'm, I'm really excited. I think, I think Keelan Martin, uh, out, of these, out of these names right here, those five names, I feel like he is a lock to make that 15-man roster. And then I think it's going to come down to LeCue and Stanley. Uh, I think Hammonds and Brima will just be a, uh, G League guys for the Pacers. But um, it'll be interesting to see if they keep LeCue or, or if they keep Cassius Stanley on that two-way contract and then maybe – 
sign him at the end of the year. I don't know, but I really feel like Keelan Martin is a guy that's going to make this roster. Yeah, so I grabbed my shovel and I started digging up some stats on Keelan Martin. And I do feel better about the Keelan Martin signing where it does feel like this is someone who probably does make the team or at least is given the opportunity to really make the team. Um, Played in 31 games in Minnesota last year, but also in the G League, someone who was averaging over 18 points per game. He's a little bit more, you know, experienced than Jalen LeCue. He's 25 years old. I mean, this is someone who – you know, he got to play college basketball. Look, you didn't. Uh, bold move, kind of trying to go straight to the draft, going undrafted. Keelan Martin, someone where I feel like in his run last year, I mean, he had opportunities where he scored in double figures numerous times. I mean, 17 points, scored over 20, over 20 points once uh, last year from Minnesota. Sure, Minnesota was not a good team, but that's stuff that you love to see when you're talking about, you know, basically the last man on the roster, you know, so – and also a, a nickname. Tell me, Alex, how did we end up with the nicknames of Keelan Morton's nickname on, on of course, uh, basketball reference is Baby Shack, and Jalen LeCue is Baby Westbrook? I mean, <laughs> look, if, if nicknames could win you anything, then I'd say we had quite the offseason. Unfortunately, they don't mean a damn. So I'm not thinking, uh, I'm not thinking that that's <laughs> worth anything. But Keelan Martin, I like it as a late pickup that really wasn't on anyone's radar. Yeah, that kind of came out of left field on Thanksgiving Day of all days as well. You know, Woj is not even able to enjoy Thanksgiving with his family. But I don't think he was distracted by any football because, God, that was awful. Um, That was the grossest football I've seen on Thanksgiving Day. But anyway, yeah, I mean, with the Pacers, I mean, they did – I should say they did bring Brian Bowen back on a two-way contract and Nazmutri Long on an Exhibit 10. So – He'll more than likely be on the G League team. And, you know, the G League is kind of up in the air right now what they're going to do with it. They did move on from Steve Gansey, the coach that had been there for a long time. So I'll be interested to see if maybe Bjorkren has somebody in mind that he wants to put in the G League, kind of to, you know, uh, do the same type of offense that he has. But it'll be interesting, Fatch. But I want to get into kind of some of the stuff that these players had to say. So on day one, we heard from Sabonis, Oladipo, and Coach Bjorkren. Uh, let's just kind of go day by day here. So – it looks like, uh, you know, the big headline from that was the Oladipo. I can't control what what's being said or anything like that. Like, basically, just out of his hands, he's here to play, and he's excited. What are your thoughts on this whole Oladipo thing, Fletch? It's crazy because he is the only person that can control that, and he chooses not to. I mean, he gave the textbook answer that we heard from Paul George, and we all know how that ended up. I mean, it's the, like, I can't control, you know, the future. I can only focus on right now. I'm under contract as an Indiana Pacer. I want to bring a championship here. I mean, it it almost feels like he, like, watched the video of Paul George saying that and then came out with the same comments. Like, come on, give us a little bit something else here. Uh, So didn't feel great about that. The one thing that I did like from Kevin Pritchard is that he was honest in saying when when they said that, have you heard from Victor Oladipo about a long-term future? And he said no. He said that he hadn't, and I think that something as small as that was at least saying, like, thank you for being honest with us because, you know, the fan base, I mean, we we haven't heard much to be really positive about in terms of what Oladipo saying. So those comments definitely stuck out to me there. What were your thoughts on uh, Oladipo's reaction when he could have, you know, kind of rebuffed some, uh, some rumors? Well, here's what I'll say. I, I feel like Victor has said this from the first time he was asked this question, I can't control it. Victor doesn't want to be committal because he's not sure what's going to happen. But all I will say is he's on the roster and I would be, 
you know, hard pressed if they made a if they made a move before the trade deadline. I mean, it's a possibility they could, you know, as as they get closer to the deadline. But like anytime soon, like I don't expect it to happen. So you talked about it. I think last year, you like Victor's kind of lost that smile. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing, if you go back, I mean, the last time Victor was really having fun was you know, those moments where he's trying to chase that ball before, you know, his, his knee goes out and he has to have that surgery against the Raptors. I mean, that's the last time, January 23rd of 2019, that Victor Oladipo looked like he was actually having fun playing basketball before he got hurt. So I think he seems really excited about Coach Bjorkman. I mean, I haven't seen him this excited to play basketball in a long time. Even when he came back, he didn't seem as enthusiastic. He seemed a little bit more like you know, ready to see how he would feel. But I feel like he feels super enthusiastic about Coach Bjorkren. All the players are talking about different things they're going to be doing. So Bonus said they're going to be playing Raptor-style basketball. Uh, we'll get into some of the stuff Turner said today. But, I mean, when I look at Oladipo, I, I think this guy, if he's at his peak level, he is the best player on the Pacers if he can reach that level. And so if he can get back to having fun, playing in a system that he likes – uh, getting the response from, you know, getting a response from Coach Bjorkren and it's just positive from Victor. I just think that, man, I, I just feel like we got to just embrace this Oladipo this season and, and just hope that he can get that fun Vic, we can get that fun Victor back and just enjoy it, whether it's a last year or not. I, I mean, that's the biggest thing because he elevates the Pacers from a first round exit to, you know, potentially winning a first round playoff series by, you know, performing at a very high level. Without a doubt. I mean, think about it. Look, we don't like how everything's played out, but by no means does it make any sense to try and paint Oladipo as the enemy and treat him that way. We need him. And it's just like, if he's at his best, the Pacers are going to be at their best. I mean, that that's how it goes. I mean, when you mentioned that when he was out, sure, yeah, they were on pace for maybe a, a right around 50 wins without Vic last year. But does anyone think they would have really won anything without Vic? No. Of course not. We, we need him this year, and if he can get back, if he can get that smile back, be happy. I, I think that if he can mentally be in a good place, I do think that it'll translate on the court. I think that rightfully so. I think that he was a bit timid, a little bit, you know, kind of pulling back a little bit on the court because – it's just you're a little bit scared. There's there's no way to, there's no other way around it. I mean, he had a serious injury, and he was a little bit shaky. It's now been quite some time. I mean, as you mentioned, I mean we're we're going on near two years from that injury. So you got to think that he's put in all the work to be healthy. It does seem like he's saying great things about Bjorkren, and, and I love the idea. Love it that it feels like. Bjorkren's been everywhere. It feels like this man's jet flying, going left and right, visiting these players, making good relationships with them from the start. And I think that it does have the players excited about it. And that matches just how excited we are. And when you're that excited and you generally like the people that you're around, I do think that it's going to translate on the court. Oh, oh yeah, and there's no doubt about it. Like when Sabonis said he flew out to LA as soon as he got hired, Loved like it. that spoke volumes to me because it's like, look, I get it. Like I, sometimes I feel like when you're this is a player's league now, so you have to kind of cater to these guys, which is whatever. I mean, some people like it, some people hate it. I get why the old school people don't like it because they grew up in a different era, so that's how they feel about it. But I mean, McMillan was a guy that was hands off. He just coached basketball and didn't deal with the, you know, off-court stuff. It was handled internally. They could do whatever they wanted to do, figure it out themselves. He wasn't going to get involved. 
That's old school basketball. Nowadays, you want a coach like Nate Bjorkren, who's going to have personal relationships with each one of these guys. I mean, Brogdon comes on the jump about a month ago, talks about how they had dinner in Atlanta. Vic says they had been texting a lot. So did Bjorkren. Sabonis says he came out and visited him. And we know that, you know, Sabonis is out there working out with Aaron Holiday and Bill Baino. So I'm sure that that was, they were involved in some type of conversation as well. So yeah, it just really seems like Nate Bjorkren is a guy that has, has been doing this long enough and he's got a great example in, in his former head coach that he worked for Nick nurse to kind of show him the ropes of how to do this whole thing because Nick nurse just won coach of the year. These players are really receptive of him and I really have enjoyed it. I'm, I mean, I'm not sure how the season's going to go. It's, it's really still up in the air, how the players fit in this new system, how much time they'll have to gel, how much time they'll have to learn it. That's all stuff we don't know. But when you're excited about something, when you're looking forward to something, I think that that energy will produce positive things for this Pacers team. I think so. And I, I'm just I'm curious to see what the, the thoughts are on other teams that hired new head coaches because I don't know if they're as excited as – Pacer fans are right now because signing Bjorkman feels like we signed a free agent. I know we really didn't sign a free agent of substantial, you know, value, but just getting a fresh face in there, a young one that feels like hip with the times of, of the players and player development, those relationships, it feels like it's going to go a long way. It just felt like the McMillan situation hit its course and to, to run it back one more year. I think that everything could have unraveled. I mean, I, I really do. I just think it, it was at its point where that's no knock on Nate. Sometimes you just are how you are, and the Pacers needed a breath of fresh air. And I feel like you can hear it. You can hear the excitement in, in like, Miles Turner when he's talking about, like, hey, I have the green light to shoot threes. Like, they want me to shoot threes. They want me moving around more. You know, it, it just sounds like there's so much to be excited about instead of, oh, we're running it back another year. It's like, well, yeah, we are, but look at it as a way is – this Pacer team might have more chemistry than just about any other team in this league. I mean, think mm -hmm. about all the other teams that were at the top. They've shaken it up a bit. Toronto, you lost Gasol and Ibaka. Uh, the Nets, like Durant didn't even play with you last year. Kyrie was in and out of the lineup. I mean, it, it's just like there, there seems like Boston lost Hayward. Sure, they added other guys. All right, like, but then you look at even in the West, like the Clippers, they had some guys leave over there. The Lakers, they, they brought in a bunch of new faces. Those teams will be good. But I think from the start, the Pacers can be good. I don't th I expect it to take that much time. Sure, you're, it's a new coaching staff. That will take a little bit. But to have the pieces with familiarity with each other is very important. Yeah, I mean, I think these guys are familiar with one another. But I also feel like we haven't got a chance to see – you know, Brogdon, Oladipo, Warren, Turner, and Sabonis healthy together and playing together. 85 minutes, I think, was what they total, uh, mm -hmm. the total minutes they logged last year of playing on the court together. So I think that there are going to be some, you know, not saying there's chemistry issues, but still trying to figure out how to play with one another because I feel like, you know, uh, I feel like Warren is a guy that needs the ball in his hands. Vic is a guy that needs the ball in his hands. Sabonis is a guy that needs the ball in his hands. Brogdon doesn't need the ball in his hands, but, you know, he's working on that. So it just feels like I, I want to see how they look in this new system. And I think that these preseason games will be a big testament of what they're going to look like. And then, of course, you know, with the bench, you know, Jeremy Lamb obviously is not going to be back right away. So you got McDermott, who's a guy that's great off ball, which we talked – they talked a lot about today how they want to use a lot of weak side action, a lot of off ball stuff, you know, a lot of movement. 
And it seemed like Turner, like I'll say this, we can kind of skip around here, but what, what Turner had to say today, I really liked what he had to say because he talked about the trade rumors. He talked about how, how heated they were and how this was probably the closest he's ever felt to them, you know, making that move. And he said he respected the front office because they were so transparent and open with him, letting him know, hey, this is what's going on. So it does, in a sense, kind of confirm that was what was going on because I know the coach or the, the GMs won't confirm it. But uh, Turner kind of just confirmed it in <laughs> himself that, yeah, <laughs> these trade rumors were about me. So we do know that now. I think that we can officially say that that it was definitely Turner in those trade rumors without just speculation on reports. But that, that definitely spoke volumes to me, how he said that Bjorkren loves to use the four and the fives in a system, very similar to, to, to Toronto, like uh, Sabonis said, shooting more threes, not shooting long twos. So I just feel like everything they're saying is that modern style of basketball that you've been wanting, Fachi, for the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and this team's going to get a chance to do it. And with, you know, sharpshooters like we saw last year and Justin Holliday and Doug McDermott, I think we've got really good bench players that complement these starters as well. I do. And just to go back on those Turner comments, I mean, the, the open, the open, you know, talking about, yes, you know, your name is being involved, but we want you to hear it first from us. It goes a long way because that's the difference between blindsiding someone and being open with them. And I think that you could respect being open with it. We've heard that Sam Presti has done that for years in OKC and the players really respect that. And you don't want to leave, you know, a bad taste in Miles Turner's mouth. He knows it's a business. Look, like he's, he's probably been the one who's unfortunately taken the most heat, the most comments. He's taken the blame way too many times, plenty of times when he didn't deserve it at all. But it feels like at least the, the, the front office was open with him. And I love that. And when you're talking about, you know, when they're talking about the style of play, it feels like Brogdon was saying that, you know, he really played a lot more with the ball last year than any before, and he struggled shooting from threes, and he's really been working on that. And I, I love – I feel like he's going to be way more familiar with the offense, way more comfortable. I think we'll see his shooting percentages go up from that. I mean, then Turner talked about how he really watched a lot of film on Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka and how, how they played together, how they played separately, just little things where I feel like I don't know. It just feels like there's this vibe about Turner where he's, he's really just, I say jacked up for this season to, to kind of play freely. And I think that we're going to see a better miles Turner, one who's not under a lot of pressure of, you know, if he gets the ball, does he have to shoot it right now? It's like, Hey, Turner, we want you to shoot it. You know, you have the green light go. I mean, we're talking about Miles Turner shot four threes per game last year. I believe it was, I mean, that's, that's not enough in today's NBA for, for a guy like that. I mean, we're seeing bigs take a lot more threes. And I think that if Turner has the confidence, I think we're going to see, you know, it, it translate into his play on the court. Yeah. He's just got to shoot those with confidence, catch yeah, and shoot. Exactly. No second guessing. No, you know, <laughs> because I feel like a lot of times, like when Turner shoots, like it was always like, Oh, should I take this or should I pass it and do a dribble handoff? Like, no, we're going to see a lot of different things. And I think that there's going to be possibilities where, uh, we, we see Sabonis play at the second unit. I also think that you're going to see Turner play at the second unit. And, and we still have not addressed the, the four position, Fachi, which has been the biggest hole for the Pacers. And, like, the only, the only forwards that they actually had, like, the actual power forward position that they were really playing last year, that went to, to Turner most of the time and Justin Holiday. And those guys aren't fours. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like, you know, <laughs> the only actual power forward you had was T.J. Leaf. 
They traded him. Oh. They let Alizé Johnson go. Your guy got a my guy got a contract with the Raptors. So good for him. Yes. And um, but yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where they didn't address it. They want to get Goga more minutes. They want to play TJ Warren at the four. So I mean, it's going to be interesting. How much is Goga going to play? How much is Warren going to play at the four? How much is Turner going to play at the four and at the five? I, I really feel like this Pacers team is going to be a lot different. We might have a set starting five that we've talked about, but I would not be surprised if there's games like, hey, where they're like, Turner, you're going to go to the bench because it's a smaller starting lineup, and we're going to throw Justin or Doug in there or Aaron in there to start with the other four guys, let TJ play the four. We feel like he's got a matchup uh, advantage here at this position. So I feel like you're going to see stuff like that, more rotations, different rotations, uh, but, yeah, I mean, if they want to play 11-12 deep like they do with Toronto sometimes, I mean, this is a good opportunity for Edmund Sumner. This is a really good opportunity for Jakar Sampson. I guess I should have mentioned him as a power forward uh, mm-hmm. last season. He was probably their best backup power forward. But, yeah, it's just one of those things. I'm, I'm not sure who they're going to play at that, at that position, but they've got a lot of different options they can do, and they've got a lot of different styles they can play, which is really exciting. Yeah, you know, I heard you mention on the last episode with Jay Michael how you're talking about that in terms of, you know, guys sometimes maybe coming off the bench. And you you just never really see that anymore. I feel like you just don't. And I feel like that comes with guys not being selfish. If they can buy in and know that, hey, sometimes on different nights, different matchups, it could make all the difference, you know, coming off the bench or not. I would love to see that. I really would because I think that that's not common enough. The starting spot, I feel like, means too much to players these days that if they can kind of back check an ego a little bit, I think it could go a long way because there is, there is talent on this Pacers team. There really is. But I think that with a new coaching staff, it's going to be necessary to have tweaks here and there for them to really find out what works best. I mean, it's not like in years past where you've had the same assistance for years. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you this because we know that there's going to be challenges this year with, you know, with COVID-19 and, and the whole situation. So having guys that are available to play one through 15 is going to be huge this year. There's going to be ample opportunities for guys. If there's someone that gets sick and goes down with it and who was around them, how they have to quarantine, all that stuff. But when it comes to the Pacers, I'm just curious your thoughts, Fachi, on, you know, how this team gets started, because we have talked about it a little bit. We've talked more about off season stuff, but, now that the season's closely approaching, we know our roster for the most part. I'm just curious because we kind of don't know what the floor and the ceiling is compared to the rest of the Eastern Conference. And that's why I said COVID because that could affect a lot of things. But, like, assuming COVID does not, like, take over a team or, or derail a team for a long period of time, which it might, but let's assume it doesn't in this, uh, this case. If the Pacers start off to a slow – I mean, if they get off to a slow start, do you think there's going to be drastic changes or do you think they're just going to ride this out the entire season? I don't know. I kind of do think that if they're running it back this year, that I do think that they'll try and, you know, give it time to develop. I think if things started to go south around, you know, the all-star break, which I believe the trade deadlines like March 25th, I think they announced today. um, Then there could be, there could be a move that definitely happens. I mean, that Oladipo situation, whether we like it or not, is is going to hang over the team's head. There's no way about it. Um, other than, you know, that's always going to be a question. And if the Pacers start slow, I mean, you got to think, hey, do they, do they try and cut their losses and, and make a trade involving Oladipo to bring something back? Or do you really let this kind of figure its way out? And I think that that only comes with winning. Winning can solve truly everything. If the Pacers get off to a rough start, 
Uh, I don't think that they're going to trade any either big in season, but Oladipo is going to be that guy that could be moved at the deadline. Yeah, I think I'm on the opposite in there with you. I think they're okay. still going to look at moving one of the bigs um, if if things aren't working out. Because, like I said, like you're not going to have enough time like at that at the four and the five for all of Sabonis, Goga, TJ Warren, and Turner to get the you know the right amount of playing time to really develop. Now, there's different ways you can do it, but I I do feel like with them trying to make that move in the off season, I, I feel like that shows that they need more creators. They, they need a different look. They need a more modern style. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to go out there and just pull the plug because clearly they've, you know, they've got a max of what they will give up. They're not giving up Aaron Holiday. They're not giving up Goga. Uh, they'll, they'll give up Turner and a role player with a pick. I think that's pretty much where they're going to stand pat at, and it depends on how good the player is. I mean, Gordon Hayward's a really good basketball player. He's a little bit older than Turner, of course, but – you know, it's kind of funny if you look at the ages. Sabonis, Turner, and Aaron Holiday are all around the same age. So while Turner's been in the league a little bit longer, he's still a young player. Same with Sabonis. So, you know, trading him, you have to be really smart. It, it, you don't just trade him to trade him, which I've said all along. Even if I don't like the fit, I'm not just going to get rid of him to get rid of him. So that's where I stand. I just don't think anybody's really going to give the Pacers what they want for Vic unless he just is like playing – at all-star level Vic and comes out and says he wants out. I don't see them making a move to get rid of him. That's why I think it'll be very hard. I think that at this point in um, where they're at right now, they ride it out, maybe try to come to a, a contract agreement at the end of the season and look at an extension and go from there. But if they can't, then you look and say, Hey Vic, you know, it's your opportunity to go test the waters because he's never got that chance in his career to do that. And 2021 is going to be a big year for free agency. So I think that's what's going to happen. He's going to test the waters in 2021. And maybe if this season goes well for him and he still wants to move on, then you can work on a sign and trade similar to what um, Boston and, and Charlotte were able to do with Gordon Hayward. I think that's where I'm leaning towards. But even if they do lose Vic, I mean, I'm just really excited to see Aaron Holiday grow as a player. I am. And see how he could fit you know, with that second unit and even playing some of the starters because this is a really big year, Fudge. I mean, I, I mean, this is a big year to see how they grow, but I think 2021, 2022 is a season I'm more excited about. Yeah, I mean, you could make an argument to say this is a make or break for this current team right here of like this could be the final chapter on, you know, what we've seen here of the, the Vic, the Sabonis, the Miles Turner. Like, you know, a lot of other guys had left in the past, but – with these three, I mean, you brought in Brogdon to, to compete and take that next step. I mean, the Pacers signed a ton of players uh, two seasons ago, and it really feel like they were geared up, you know, for a, a big-time run. And if it doesn't work out with, with Vic and, and he's traded, it feels like the team could enter that kind of a limbo state of, hey, we're, we're just going to internally work on bettering the players that we already have in terms of chasing someone else. And a sign-and-trade, Maybe I'm wrong. I feel like they've been a little bit more common in the last two years than they were in the past. I feel like I've seen signing trades happen a little bit more this offseason than, than before, and I'm, I'm excited about that because it does at least give the Pacers an option to not, have, not lose Vic for nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and for that, if he's willing to work with us, I think even an exit over there can still end up in good faith where the fan base isn't so mad that they lost him for nothing. And I can't blame him for wanting to test the waters in a 2021 free agent pool where 
teams are expected to be having a lot of money. There's going to be the, the cap is expected to go up a little bit. Uh, I, I think that, you know, he, unfortunately he has the right to, to want to see what's out there and, and get courted. But obviously in a perfect world, you hope that he returns to all-star form and we're able to work something out. Absolutely. So let's, let's kind of dive into this a little bit real quick because we haven't really had a chance to talk about where you see the Pacers in the Eastern Conference now that all these moves have been made. And then last night, the, the shocking one, John Wall and a first-round pick heading to Houston for Russell Westbrook. So Westbrook is now in the East. With your Bradley Beal, your Washington Wizards, Fachi. Never that. <laughs> Never. They, they got Denny Avia from uh, Israel in the draft. They've got Indiana, uh, Indiana Hoosier, Thomas Bryant. They signed Davis Bertans to a five-year, $80 million contract. Might be a bit of an overpay, but I, oh, think yeah. he, I think I really like that fit actually next to Westbrook. Just a lights-out shooter like that. And then Ruby Hachimura. I mean, that's your top six that you're looking at there with, with the Wizards. And then, of course, Atlanta goes out, gets Rondo, Danilo Gallinari, and Bogdanovich. Um, Bogdan, not Bojan. And, you know, Kimba Walker is going to be out for a little bit with some surgery. Gordon Hayward goes to Charlotte. And so Celtics bring in Jeff Teague and Tristan Thompson, kind of hoping to, you know, bridge that gap there a little bit from some of the losses they had. And, and then other than that, obviously Brooklyn's going to have Ky- uh, Kyrie and KD back. Bucks got Drew Holiday. Uh, Miami is pretty much running it back. Jay Crowder, Derek Jones Jr. are on the are on the out, but they got uh, Mo Harkless in, and I don't know if they got anybody else, and I can't remember, but at least Mo Harkless will replace Jay Crowder's minutes. So you know, I mean, I, I look at these teams. I think Toronto is the only one that lost some significant players with Gasol and Ibaka leaving. Where do you see the Pacers, Fudge? Alex, I'm going to be honest. When you give a rundown like that, the East they got better. They did. I mean, Washington was a joke last year. You add a 27 points per game score, a former MVP and Russell Westbrook. They are a better team than last year. There's no doubt about it. Atlanta, I do think, is going to be a better team than last year. I mean, both those teams should be competing for, you know, at least they seed, at least. So it, it puts the pressure on the Pacers in, in a year where, hey, everything's going to have to come from the belief that this team could – could be what everybody hoped it was going to be last year. And, you know, I think that it, it sounds rough to say, but I think that probably puts the Pacers around that 6-7 seed. I really think it does. And, you know, you never want to go by any ESPN projections because I don't know what Kendrick Perkins was sipping on last night when he left the Pacers <laughs> out of the playoff rankings. I mean, that was nuts. I don't even know if he remembers the Pacers are even a team. Because they never cover cover us at all, as you can remember when, you know, Kendrick Perkins and Paul Pierce and whoever else was in that video just stared at the screen, you know, with a blank stare a few months back for about two minutes when they were supposed to be covering the Pacers. But uh, I think that puts the Pacers at right around six or seven. Look, every year they sleep on us. Every single year. Pacers are coming off the four seed. You know, it was good. It could have been the fifth seed if Miami really went for that last game. Who knows? But I think that with Kevin Durant coming back into play, you got to put some respect on, on Brooklyn's name. And I think that probably leaves the Pacers around six or seven. What about you? Yeah. So I, I did do an updated these standings today on Twitter and, you know, my Western conference one, I, I got some people mad at me because I had Houston really low just because I feel like this is the, the, the trade of Westbrook to Washington to me is the prelude of, of, of Harden wanting out. Now I know that there's reports that, says Harden wanted John Wall, but I just don't really know if I buy that. Why would Harden want John Wall after he hasn't played for two years? 
Um, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. James Harden's a really good basketball player. He wants to be in Brooklyn. <laughs> Houston's in a weird situation. They're, their owner, they're kind of, he doesn't want to pay the tax. He's, you know, his, his actual personal life, you know, has been really hit hard by coronavirus. So it's totally different for Tillman Fertitta, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what to expect with Houston uh, going forward, but with the Eastern conference back to that, sorry, I got on a little bit of a rabbit trail there, but I have the paces at seven and that's not to be a knock on anything. I mean, they could to me go up as high as probably four or five really wouldn't see them getting much past that. I mean, I've got Milwaukee as the number one seed once again. Being able to get, you know, Drew Holiday in that trade was huge. He's a major upgrade over Eric Bledsoe. They got Dante DiVincenzo, a guy they really didn't want to give up. They lose Bogdanovich, I understand, but they still got DJ Augustine, a backup point guard. And like, I'm not saying he's the answer, but he's, he's a solid backup veteran guy. Uh, I, I have Brooklyn as number two. I just really – Kevin Durant, I mean, he's a top three player when he's fully healthy. Um, I expect him to be hungry and locked in and ready to go. Philadelphia, they're going to have a new makeover. I really like the way they're, you know, looking to looking on paper a lot better than last year, even though I thought they would be better than they were last year. I got Philly at three. I've got Miami at four. I got Boston at five. I had them falling a little bit just because of the Kimba injury scares me and not having Hayward. I just don't feel like Jeff Teague is good enough to really – fill the void of Kimba, but he's serviceable. And then Toronto, they made a they made a, a – they're a good team. I just they could be inter- they could be interchanged with the Pacers as well. But like I have Washington at eight, Atlanta at nine, and Chicago at ten. So I mean it's important to remember those two spots at nine and ten still get you in the playoffs. So I mean the Pacers probably at all at all costs want to avoid being a seven seed. So that's why the six seed could be really enticing to them. But yeah, it's uh, it's tough. Watch. I'm sorry I'm rambling here, but that's where I've got my top ten. No, it is. I mean I slept on Toronto last year. I really did. I thought they would take a solid step back when they lost Kawhi, but they, they surprised me. But this year kind of feels like the year that if Toronto's around five or six, to me it feels about right. Miami, it's hard to sleep on knowing what they just did, and especially that, you know, in the NBA Finals, Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic were, you know, very banged up, and they still made it a, a competitive series. So I do think that there should be a good reason to put Miami in your top four. Look, I'm not going to sit here and be biased with the Pacers. I, I think that, unfortunately, the other teams above them did get better. They did. And for us, we ran it back with a new coach, and we're hoping to get better internally. So I think right around seven is, unfortunately, where I probably see them. Now, if Victor Oladipo can turn back to all-star form, then that could be as high as maybe five. You know, you, you never know right there. But it, it's just a matter of – being able to share the ball well and being healthy. I, I think that if, the, if that works out, the one thing we have on those teams is chemistry. Philly, that was a team that it almost feels like just by getting Horford out of there, out of that fit, it feels like they're better. They added my guy, Seth Curry, but, you know, that's not going to be, you know, <laughs> crazy. You just had to throw that in there. But um, I, I think that Philly will be better. They were probably one of the biggest disappointments last year. Yeah, I think Philly's hungry. I think I think Brooklyn's hungry. I think Kyrie and Durant are just ready to get out there, win some games. Now, it'll be interesting to see if they try to make any moves. I'm sure they will. Uh, with D'Antoni running the offense and Jacques Vaughn running the defense, it's Steve Nash is kind of pulling a Larry Bird here. 
with the Brooklyn Nets and how he's wanting to approach this thing. So he's going to be basically focused on player development and just kind of overseeing things and and making the calls. But yeah, I mean, getting two masterminds like that on your team with uh, especially D'Antoni, I mean, he's just an offensive offensive genius. And then Jacques Vaughn did really well for the, for the Nets in the bubble. I mean, that's, that's really enticing stuff there. So, I mean, they're going to be a good team. They might be a better playoff team than a regular season team. I understand that argument. Miami, the only thing I worry about with Miami is just coming off that long run in the bubble. Are they fatigued at all, and how much should the bubble impact them? Because I do feel like the bubble situation was good for that team, where I think had there been fans and it had been a normal you know, type of season, playoff season, I mean, Milwaukee probably puts up a better fight being able to play in front of their home crowd. So, you know, that's, that's where I stand. But I still think that you have to give them credit. Bam Adebayo gets a huge extension, makes you thankful that – the Pacers were able to lock in Sabonis before he had his monster season and not have to, you know, <laughs> overpay for him. Not overpay, but, you know, pay him more than what you're paying him now. So, really, I mean, the Pacers, they're a good team. They don't have any top 25 player on their roster right now, unfortunately. They've got some really solid players. It's easy to kind of look at them and say, well, you know, they're an upset Victor Oladipo away from – you know, really falling out of this thing. But I don't see that. I think Orlando is going to miss the playoffs this year. Too many injuries. Um, I mean, I know Vooch is good, but, you know, not having Jonathan Isaac, not having Aminu, losing DJ Augustine, who was their only competent point guard before, you know, Fultz played okay in the bubble. You know, they've got Cole Anthony at the point guard. They're they're a young team. They're going to be fine, but they're just, they're just the most random NBA roster that I can think of besides OKC right now. And it's just, yeah, I mean, there's teams getting better in the Eastern Conference. I mean, Billy Donovan with Chicago, they're getting better. Atlanta's getting better with Lloyd Pierce and all the moves they made. Nate McMillan's going to be a good defensive mind for them there, a good assistant coach, which I think he probably does a better job at than as a head coach. And then, of course, Russell Westbrook. I mean, that to me, Fachi, we could spend some time talking about that if you want because people love to slander Westbrook, but that dude is a baller. I mean, <laughs> he, he goes hard. And he has kind of been disrespected because of his contract. Big but time. I think, but I think Westbrook's a really good player. Big time. I have, being from New York, a ton of my friends were like, I don't want Westbrook. Oh, like, get me nowhere near that. It's like, you're Knicks fans. Who have you had lately? Like, they're, they're slandering a 27 points per game scorer, a former MVP, a guy who averaged a triple-double for a few seasons in a row. It's like, this man can play. Washington is putting him in there. John Wall hasn't played in two calendar years. Thank you. Two calendar years. You just added a 27 points per game score next to Bradley Beal, who was on fire last year. It's it's kind of scary. It is because Washington is a team that you laugh at. Like you, you go, okay, that, that that's a win right there. You know, you, you move on and, and you wait until the win actually happens. Now you look at it and you go, oh, we're, we're going to have our hands full in that backcourt. And it's it, the East – got better it's very competitive typically the eighth seed is a sub 500 team in the east that's that's for the most part how it's been lately now it's not just the eighth seed it's like we're talking with a a play-in tournament type situation you know that nine that 10 seed right over there like how bad can can chicago be forever there's young talent over there they haven't developed it but billy donovan i mean he's he's a former college coach he's developed talent before I think that they'll at least be somewhat competitive. You know, I don't think that they're going to be another joke of a team if they are. Hey, uh, that's what they've been lately. But it just feels like 
the bottom of the East at least got better. Like you expect the Cavs and the Knicks to be worse, but like at some point they have to, you know, maybe increase by a couple of wins. And, and those are teams that I don't even feel like are even in the playoff picture. No. But the actual the actual playoff picture of like Atlanta, Alex, it's going to get scary in a couple of years. There is a lot of young talent on that team. And I just feel like they had a great off season where they almost have too much young talent right now because there's guys like John Collins who's who's up for a contract extension where you're wondering, well, what are they going to do with him? I mean, they they might look to – I think this year they're probably going to look to make a run at the playoffs. I think the, making the eighth seed, I think, to them means a lot. So it's going to be curious what to see what they do with all that young talent. But for right now, Atlanta's coming. Yeah. I mean, I like Atlanta. I feel like they've kind of been the sexy pick this offseason. Mm-hmm. Even, even before they got Bogdan Bogdanovich, people were talking about like Rondo and Chris Dunn and Gallinari. Like these were just like massive upgrades. And I'm like, they're fine. They're good players. Like Gallo's going to be coming off the bench. Rondo, you know, seems to only be effective in the playoffs for some reason. Like they've been calling him playoff Rondo oh, recently. Yeah. So like him in the regular season, like how good is he going to be? Like, they want to get Trey off ball more. I understand some of those concepts. I think that Atlanta is a fun team. They're exciting. They're interesting. But I'm not sitting here going to, like, throw my money in the, you know, on yeah. them and say, oh, this is the team. I'm not going all in on them. No. Charlotte, and Charlotte and got better. Successful for them. Charlotte got better. I mean, yeah. that was they were a joke. Charlotte, um, I mean, you added LaMelo Ball, who a couple of years from now, who knows? He could end up being the most talented player in the draft. We got to see. But you also added Hayward. Devontae Graham took a big step forward. I yeah. mean, DJ Washington was really yeah. good last year too. We don't expect them to be a playoff team, but we expect them to be better. We're going to have our hands full with, with some of the the teams that we, you know, kind of overlooked last year. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to, you know, the worst three teams in my opinion are Detroit, New York, and Cleveland. By far. Those are probably your worst three teams. And, and then you've got, you know, like you're talking Charlotte's a fringe playing team. You're talking Orlando's a fringe playing team. I mean, I'm sorry, like or Aaron Gordon. I know everybody's like, it was hilarious. I said I was watching the slam dunk contest last night on NBA TV. Just happened to have it on, and I just forgot that he dunked over Taco Fall, and he lost that slam dunk contest because Dwayne Wade gave him a nine and uh, did not give him a ten to make it a tie, and uh, kind of screwed it, screwed that whole thing over to give his Miami Heat guy the win. And I was like, man, I still can't believe Aaron Gordon didn't win that slam dunk contest because he was, he was phenomenal in that. But he came out today and said that they're going to be higher than an eight seed. I'm sorry, I just don't see it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, like I'm uh, not buying it. And one thing, Alex, don't don't get it by anyway. We know you're watching those Aaron Gordon highlights on repeat, the dunk contest, and all. But- nah, I really, I really don't. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of calmed down a little bit, cooled okay. down on Aaron. But I will say this: I do think Orlando's a team that you're going to see sell um, halfway yeah. through this season because I think they're going to start losing games. They're going to fall out of the playoff race, in my opinion. They've got Cole Anthony. They've got Jonathan Isaac. They've got a. Uh, the guy they drafted last year from uh, was Auburn. Uh, Auburn. Auburn, yes. Who I, didn't I, play last year. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they've got a young nucleus of talent. I think it would be smart for them to move on from Booch if they can, trade Terrence Ross, trade Aaron Gordon, kind of get younger and, and just kind of grow. I mean, I will say this, and this is going to be my biggest hot take from the entire episode. Uh-oh, it's heating up. It is. So here's what I'm going to say, Fudge. If the Pacers miss the playoffs this year and they lose in a play-in game, it might not be the worst thing. Here's why. Here's why. This draft that everybody keeps talking about is absolutely loaded. I'm not saying I want the Pacers to miss the playoffs, so don't get me wrong. I want them to make the playoffs. But if they give it a seventh seed, 
let's just say for some reason Washington's that 10 seed, Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook are good enough to beat the Pacers in two out of three games. If one of them gets hot, I mean, I'm not saying that they're a better team than the Pacers, but they could get hot in a play-in type situation. So, yes, the Pacers would have to lose two games, but I think it's possible. And if you do not make the playoffs, for some reason something fluky happens, and I know some people are actually – I think Howard Beck on Zach Lowe's podcast today actually said the Pacers might be one of the top seven teams that seems like a lock that could fall out. I don't know about that, but I'm just saying if they did, it might not be a terrible thing getting the draft lottery. And if you can get a talented player – I haven't even really studied this draft to know the names that well, but if they could get somebody – um, in that top seven, top ten area to, to maybe be Vic's replacement and Vic walks away, that definitely, number one, it saves you on money as far as how much you're paying the guy. And, you know, I'm a little bit over the, uh, oh, they don't fit the age. It's like the Pacers are a pretty young team still, and Bjorkman wants to get these young guys integrated. I don't have any problems with that. So that's why I say it might not be the worst thing to, to miss the playoffs if you're going to miss the playoffs this year because, quite frankly, I mean – Right now with this roster, I just don't see this roster really competing for a championship. And if you're going to miss it, this is the year to do it. Hey, two things about me that I'll admit, Alex. I'm cheap and I'm competitive. And I love to <laughs> save some money. And if the Pacers aren't going to sign Vic, it's all right with me because I know that, you know, hey, locking him in for, you know, four or five more years, I mean, it could get tough. It could get ugly if he doesn't fully recover. But being competitive – the Pacers, they're just never one to, you know, you always want to be in it. And I don't think that when we, especially when we rattled through how much better the East got, I don't think that this is a surefire, oh, we're getting out of the first round this year. I don't. And I don't know if any Pacer fan feels that way unless they're just fully drinking the Kool-Aid. But I want to at least be in it to win it. Sure, I'm dying for some young franchise-changing help. But it's like I gotta, I gotta see this team healthy, and I gotta see it unfold first because it's been like a mystery. We mentioned 85 minutes together for the starting unit. It's like let me know if we can move on with with some guys on this roster, or if we can push forward to the next level. Yeah, and I, I think you're right there because like it's not a knock to say, oh, they're not going to make it out of the first round. Like, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, nobody knows. We're just kind of projecting based on what we've seen, what we've heard these guys talk about. They're excited to play a new style, and that's great and all, but at the end of the day, no matter what the style is, it does make a difference, but talent wins in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And there's just teams that have more talent than us right now. I think that you could, you could, if you're in a 4-5 or five matchup with Toronto, that would be awesome just to see Nurse versus Bjorkren. But I just feel like there's some of those guys that have been battle-tested that the Pacers have not in the playoffs. So that's why I want to see the Pacers make the playoffs because I think – getting more opportunities to compete at a high level, see how B. Orkren does in the playoffs, see if we actually win a game. Not a, No offense to Nate McMillan, but, I mean, see if they can win a game, see if they can change things up. What kind of adjustments does he make? Like, that's kind of the stuff I'm looking forward to this year. But, I mean, worst-case scenario is, you know, the, the thing just completely falls apart. Guys aren't able to do that. I don't see that happening. I think the Pacers will be fine. They will make the playoffs. They might, unfortunately, have to play a play-in game, but I think they'll get in. I kind of think the playing game's still kind of stupid. <laughs> I mean, you play 72 games. Why do you need a game to determine if you should make the playoffs or not? That's just my thought on it. But I understand why it's uh, attractive for ratings and stuff like that because people want to see that elimination type of series or type of game. But Pacers are a good team. They've got a good squad. 
once again, they're going to be that team that's the underdog, the team that's overlooked. Always. Team, it's just, you know, it's the same narrative. It's the same se- It's the same stuff, different season, right? So it's a, it's a new coach, good things to be excited about, but I just don't see the results being much different than they were the last couple of years as far as being a first-round playoff exit. And, and I definitely get it, and I think that the Pacers tried – to change that we talked about it if there's ever a, a consolation prize or a pat on the back that you can get in free agency the Pacers, i think they, they kind of deserved it where they they went after there was rumors that they did go after the fred van vliet's and and the gordon hayward they tried to upgrade the team but not at a cost that would have been overpaying to the point where if you had to give up too many assets and all that then you know it kind of had them thinking like we have unfinished business Let's bring it back. And, and for that, I, I get it. I respect it. I like to know that they tried to be better than that, but it, it's tough. They're, they're in a situation where you talked about with Jay Michael, how it, it felt good to want to be wanted by Gordon Hayward. Like you had someone, a good player in this league, a former all-star saying he wanted to come here. And for that, I feel like it at least felt good, but Hey, when you saw the, the dollar sign uh, next to what Hayward signed for, I know that probably wouldn't have been the amount that he would have came to Indiana for. It felt like, okay, we, we still have this team intact. And other than Vic, I mean, everyone's coming back next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the key. And, <laughs> you know, it's – well, McDermott's a free agent, so is McConnell. Yeah, but, yeah. but guys that are of importance in a mm-hmm. sense where – you know, they're going to be part of your long-term future. Because I don't think the Pacers would have a problem getting off any of those bench player type guys besides, you know, outside of the, the Holiday Brothers and Goga. I think anybody else is expendable. That'd be their top eight, in my opinion, starting five plus the Holiday Brothers and Goga in terms of how they value them. But, yeah, I mean, it's – to me, this is where I think the Pacers make a midseason trade is if it's like halfway through the season and they realize they're kind of floating around that 6-7 seed and they just feel like they need to make a move. I feel like they could be a little bit more active and see what's out there. But other than that, I mean, I just feel like this team is, it's fun. I'm excited to watch them. I'm excited to see what Bjorken can do. I'm not saying this season is a throwaway season, but I'm more excited for the following season because then we'll have our answer on what Oladipo does. We'll have our answer on if the, the Turner Sabonis thing can work and we'll have a better understanding of what this offense looks like. So that's why I'm more intrigued by not this season, but the following one, but I still think this season's a great, great opportunity for Bjorken to get his feet wet as a head coach in the NBA and see how these players respond, because that's the biggest thing. If the players are happy, they're positively responding. Those, those positive vibes will result in wins because team chemistry does result in wins in the regular season. We saw what happened that first year that, you know, Paul George left. Everybody expected the Pacers to be a 10 seed, 11 seed, not make the playoffs. They got hot. They rallied around Oladipo. They came together. They had veterans. They had young people or young, or, or young squad, and, and they were able to make it all work. So I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about this season, but there are different scenarios to look at, and that's why I threw out the idea of, you know, missing the playoffs. Oh, no, there is, and I'm optimistic as well, but make no mistake about it. There are a lot of questions that need to be answered, and we don't have those answers yet. And it, 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 like we talked about, if things don't work out early on, there's going to be kind of a dark cloud hanging over the Pacers of, uh-oh, you know, maybe they need to be sellers, this, this, and that. But, hey, until then, I'm, I'm going to be positive about it. I'm excited about everything that Nate Bjorkman's bringing to this team and the excitement that's coming with the players. I mean, think about it. it. Tell me this. If if 
Miles Turner was still involved in those trade rumors and Nate McMillan was there not diffusing the situation. Don't you feel like he's almost at his wits end at this point? Yeah. Yeah. And, but it just feels like they, they've handled it differently. feels like Bjorkman saying just the right things to Miles Turner, getting him excited about it. I mean, it, I love the fact that, you know, Malcolm Brogdon was reaching out to Kyle Lowry to just get a feel of, of Bjorkman. And, and basically they were saying that everyone in Toronto was raving about him. So it's like, look, we, we, we kind of struck out in free agency. We were limited to begin with. So I don't want to call it a total strikeout. But in terms of head coach optimism, I don't think that they're saying anything similar to this. Like I talked about earlier in the show, I don't think they're saying that this in New York about Thibodeau. I don't think they're saying this really about Billy Donovan. And I, I can't even remember OKC's head coach's name because I know he was the assistant coach. That's how like, no one, even, like there it's like, Oh, nothing's happening over there. It's like, no, no, we got something. We, we could be building something special in Indiana, but it might not just be next year. Next year is the start of something new. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's the Bjorkman era. It's the new Nate era. And I'm excited to see what they can do. I think that the Pacers have a good team. They have a really competitive team, a team that can go out there and, and they can ruffle some feathers and, and they can make you sweat a little bit. I don't think any team in the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference is looking at the Pacers and thinking, oh, I'm glad we get to play them. I think that they're looking at, oh, this is a good team. Let's see what their new coach can do. I think that other other teams are keeping their eyes on them, and it'll be interesting. I don't I don't have any doubt that Bjorkman's going to have a successful regular season debut with with his experience in the G League, being a part of Nick Nurse's coaching staff multiple times throughout his career, and just the way that the efforts he's put forth and going out to make personal relationships with these players. I think just being able to be open and honest, like that's the thing with, I think with Miles Turner, like handling like a, a pro, Hey, you were in trade talks. We were really considering trading you for Gordon Hayward, but just so you know, that's what was happening. He said, Hey, you know what? That's cool. I'm glad you're open with me about it. I think Bjorken could say, Hey miles tonight, we're going to bring you off the bench. We're going to start TJ at the four or, Hey, you know, we need you to step up and play more minutes at this position or that position. Like I think that that type of thing is going to be pivotal for this Pacers team to have early season success. And I think early season success will dictate what this season looks like for the Pacers. If they get off to a slow start and they really struggle, that's when I would get a little worried about how this team projects for the rest of the season. But if they get off to an early start, playing the Knicks is a great way to get started, Fotch. Oh, yeah. I, I think that that is something that keep your eyes on because if they can get some wins early on, they'll be headed in the right direction. Definitely. And, you know, make no mistake about it. The Pacers are still experimenting with Turner and Sabonis together. And I think that Nate Bjorkman's up for that challenge to see how it works. It feels like they had success with Gasol and Ibaka, but those are also older players. You're still dealing with younger players that are still really trying to establish themselves in the NBA. You know, Turner, you know he, Turner wants more, wants a bigger role, wants to produce more. And, and then you got Sabonis who's really coming into his own last year to the point where I'm excited to see this experiment work. I, I like the idea that they didn't blow it up before Bjorkman actually got to, to, you know, have his hand in things. So for that, I am very excited. Why not give it a go, roll the dice and, and see what happens. We could always make changes later on, but for now, Hey, don't blow it up. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Absolutely. Was well, there any final thoughts you wanted to say Foch, uh, before we get off here? 
I would just say, Pacer Nation, get fired up because basketball is right around the corner. And, uh, you know, it's getting, it's getting dark out early. It's getting cold out. But, hey, we got our Pacers on the court to comfort us. And uh, playing the Knicks right around Christmas time, is that not a gift from the NBA or what? <laughs> it does seem like an early Christmas present. And real quick, I don't think we touched on it yet, but if we did, I, I apologize. But congratulations to Malcolm Brogdon. He was the winner of the Jay Walter Kennedy Citizenship Award. I know we had talked about that off air, so I wasn't sure if we actually recorded that part. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's on, on, based on Pacers Twitter. It's an honor that is bestowed on an individual who displays extraordinary dedication to community service and improving the lives of others. Just, I, I just think when you're looking for the perfect human being uh, to represent your organization, Malcolm Brogdon is probably the best player in the NBA. Really is. And it's good that we gave him a shout out because he deserves it. Honestly, that when you hear something like that, having good character, you know, all that in there, I, I read that Malcolm Brogdon talked about that. It was tough to be a leader last year in his first year with the Pacers, but the fact that he wanted to be a leader, it shows that this is who he is. You can't, you can't teach that because it won't be authentic. This is who Malcolm is. He's a leader and I absolutely love it. Well-deserved. Happy to call you my point guard. Absolutely. He is someone we haven't really talked too much about. It's been a lot of Vic, a lot of miles, a lot of, you know, uh, role player stuff. I think Malcolm Brogdon could have a huge year in this system if he's able to play off ball a little bit more. Um, I think that if we can reduce Sabonis' minutes a little bit, I understand he played 35 minutes last year. That plantar fascia is something that will come and go. So if they can reduce his minutes, maybe get him down to like 30, 32, that'll take off a lot of miles, you know, throughout the entire throughout the entire season, which, you know, you don't think, oh, two, three minutes will make a big difference. You time that by 72, that's like, you know, 220 minutes close to, close to that. So that's a big difference throughout the entire year. I think Brogdon staying healthy is going to be huge. Giving him nights, you know, giving him Vic both, you know, opportunities to rest. You've got a vet in McConnell and, uh, you know, Justin Holiday, McDermott. Aaron Holiday has been in the league long enough now. They can fill in for those guys when they're hurt. We saw it last year. You know, and then TJ Warren, how does he become unlocked? What does he do differently? Do we get to see Bubble Warren for most of the, for most of the season? That'll be exciting. So, yeah, just a lot, of, a lot of things we haven't been able to touch on because we just haven't been able to see it. But now, playing the Cavs back-to-back in the preseason, I mean, hey, Fachi, you said it. We're about a week away from actual basketball stuff. So, I don't know about you, but I am just ready to see on-the-court action, and I am done talking about off-season stuff. I'm definitely done talking about the Oladipo rumors, and I want to just talk about the Pacers playing on the court. We're almost there. Hey, amongst the best time of the year, it's a different time of the year. We should be watching NBA basketball right now, but you know what? Hey, bring it on. Bring it on, ladies and gentlemen. We will be back next week to see what's going on, probably get a little bit of a preview in there and see what's happening in the training camp, see if there's anything else that comes out. But the Pacers are just moments away from being back on the court, and we're able to talk about on-court action. So Pacer Nation, thank you so much. And for all those shout-outs we got on Twitter a couple of days ago from Spotify being your favorite listener, or one of your most listened-to podcasts, thank you so much. It means the world to us that you guys take time out of your day to listen to us talk about the Pacers. And if you haven't already, please give us a nice rating and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, we will talk to you all later. Follow us on Twitter at SettingThePace3, Fachi at underscore F-A-C-C-I, and I'm at Alex Golden, NBA. Peace out, Pacer Nation. Let's go, Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. 
Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.